Thank you for listening to audio from Community Bible Church's college ministry. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Joy and Unity, a study of Philippians. guys can have a seat. Uh, welcome to the new digs. Uh, it's a little bit different, but thanks uh, to Mal and Sylvia for making it look awesome and uh, all that. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> so welcome back. We, we're, we're excited to get kick, kicked back and we've just been twiddling, twiddling our thumbs for like six weeks, um, but now you're back and we're excited. Uh, Excited for a lot of things. Small groups are kicking back up next week. Uh, Nicaragua's in March. And here in the Bible study portion, uh, we're studying through the book of Philippians. And so the two kind of main reasons we kind of chose to study through the book of Philippians is, is what Philippians, just the, the kind of overarching theme of this book. And, and the two that we kind of pulled are joy and unity. And if you're a Christian, the primary mark of your life should be joy. I mean, it, it's, again, celebration of Jesus and what he's done and the finished work of the cross, and that should just stir up joy. And, and Philippians does a great job of differing between joy and happiness, happiness being this kind of fleeting feeling that, you know, if Josh gets a great parking spot and he's all happy and I walk in and smack him in the face and he's not happy, that's not that doesn't really do anything. That's happiness, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But joy, joy is different. Joy drives us, and it changes us, and it motivates us to, to do things that, that just happiness doesn't do. And so we, wanna, we want joy. We want to see what, how Paul has joy, what he does to get joy, and we want more joy in our life through the gospel. The other side to that is that this book talks about unity, and the unity that we have uh, through the gospel. Paul loved the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi loved Paul. And so we want to kind of look at this letter and see what it is, what is it about this letter and, and about their relationship that creates the joy that they have in that unity. And, and that's kind of what we titled the series, if we must title it, is Joy in Unity. We want joy in being together and being unified and not just spending time together, but like what it means to be unified in the gospel. And so that's kind of our hope for the series, that we will um, begin to, to kind of deeply value this group of people on a gospel level. And, and I, th- I think it's important because God has, has brought us here. For whatever purpose, God has brought us here for this season, for this time, to be together, to be in each other's company, and to understand that really what you do matters to other people in the room. What you do, you are a part of a people that God is creating, and, and what we do with that matters. Uh, but, but in a good way. Like We want it to stir up joy, and we want to revel in the fact that God has brought us here, and that we're in this room with these people. And so, not, and, and I, with that, not just in this room with these people, but Christians around the world and through all time, God is creating a people to bring glory to his name, to to delight in for all eternity. And so we want to just kind of get into that and, and see that in a better focus and let it 
stir up joy um, in our hearts. So tonight as we kind of begin this series, a couple things I want to do. Give a little bit of uh, background to the book of Philippians, uh, and then just read the first few verses and uh, just make some observations and kind of begin to hopefully set the trajectory of, of what it is about this book, these people, this relationship that can hopefully help us, stir us into to greater joy and unity and ultimately stir our affection for Jesus. And, and that's the goal, that's the idea, that's the hope. So um, go ahead, if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians 1. If you don't, I think Mallory stuck some back there. There's probably some underneath you uh, in the seats. So while you guys are turning there, just a little background on the book. Uh, the book of Philippians was written by Paul uh, probably while in prison in Rome, um, and, and which is actually really important, as we'll get to later. Uh, but it's also the church in Philippi was the first church planted by Paul on European soil. So, so this was his kind of baby. This was a big deal to him. But the city itself was actually really important, too. It was uh, started as a, a military colony by Augustus. And, and basically how it worked is, Augustus wanted Rome to look a certain way. He wanted it to be protected, but he didn't want to want a bunch of old, hardened military guys just wandering the streets. So what he would do is he would set up these military colonies strategically kind of through the empire so all the nasty old soldiers could be somewhere else, but also kind of periodically keep, keep tabs on the empire. But what happens is later on he, he gets kind of paranoid that people are trying to attack Rome, and so he, he takes half of Philippi, of the soldiers and just brings them back. And he takes half of just regular Roman soldiers, I mean citizens, and puts them in Philippi. So what that means is basically you have somewhat of a military stronghold that's kind of a port city of commerce. And so it's a, it becomes a very important uh, city. It's 10 miles from the Aegean Sea, which makes it a trade town, just business, influential city in that region. In fact, the book of Acts calls uh, Philippi the leading city of the district of Macedonia. So it's important. It's an influential city. Paul, in his ministry, in his life, he goes to the influential cities, and that's where he preaches because his goal is to reach as many as possible, have as big of influence as possible. And so that's, that's kind of the, the, the backdrop of, of the book of Philippians. So if you have uh, your Bible, let's go, and we'll just start in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I want to stop there because I think it's important before we go any further to kind of understand who we think Paul is talking to. He says, in all my remembrance of you, I, I remember you, I remember who you are, and, and that brings me joy. And, and, and so I just want to take a few minutes and, and think of at least three people that, that he's probably talking, uh, thinking about as he's writing this. Um, in Acts 16, it actually talks about when Paul uh, visited Philippi and the people that he encounters. And so the first person that he actually encounters is a lady named Lydia. And Lydia, it, it, what we know about her, she's a seller of purple goods, um, and which may not seem like a big deal to us, but at that time, purple goods were very expensive goods. They were, it was a hot commodity. It was a fine linen or fine whatever, just the color purple, the way it was created, uh, made 
whatever it was that was purple, very expensive. So you have this lady, Lydia, and, and what else we know about her is that it says that she was a, uh, she believed in God. But it was a, you know, polytheistic culture. It, there's probably, it's not, it's not all that surprising that she would believe in God, but we know she didn't believe in Christ because of what, what will happen. But so Paul goes in, into Philippi, tries to find the house of prayer, find wherever the religious center is, and he goes there and he just starts preaching. And the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And what, what Paul was saying was the gospel. So we know that Lydia, this lady, believed in God, some God, but Paul starts preaching the gospel, and the Lord opens her heart to hear what he has to say, to receive the gospel, to understand it. And, and she does. She believes and she gets baptized. Um, another time, he, Paul is going back to uh, this, wherever this house of prayer, this, this place near the river where the religious kind of center was, looking for it. And there's this young slave girl who it says had a uh, who had a spirit of divination in her. Now, her owners, who the the the, lady, the people, probably guys who own this young girl, she they would use her and her power and spirit of divination to make money as a fortune teller. So they would go around and charge people to, hey, I'll tell your fortune for a dollar, you know, whatever it would be, or a denarii, or you know, anyway. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but, but this is about how they would make money. And, and she would follow Paul and Silas around, and she would yell out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Which we hear that and we go, Hey, that's not bad. I mean, right? Like, this is th- it's true. This is what they were doing. But it must have been in some kind of sarcastic way to, to make Paul angry. Because after about five or six days of doing this, Paul turns around and says, tells the, the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And the evil spirit came out of her. And I want to hit kind of the pause button because actually what I'm about to say isn't in the Bible, but I've heard some other pastors kind of talk down this line and, and it makes actually a lot of sense to me, so I'm just going to kind of run with it too. But I, it doesn't say that this young girl was became saved, um, but I, I, I think that she... I, I'm pulling for her. I think that she really did. And this is why. So the, the owners see that the, the spirit was gone but, and that they could no longer use her to make money. And, and as I was thinking about this and listening to other guys to kind of talk about this, it, it dawned on me, if, if, if it the spirit would have just gone out and, and she would have kind of you know, been foggy for a minute and they're like, hey, you know, are you okay? And she'd been like, yeah, 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 I, I'm okay. I, I feel like the owners would have been mad, but what happens is the owners get really mad. I mean, they take Paul and Silas, they take them before the council, get them thrown in jail, and, and something must have transpired. The girl, I feel like, must have said something to make them think there's no going back. There, this, this whatever we had before is gone, and it's gone for good. And I'm thinking it probably sounded something along the lines of, you know, this spirit of divination is gone, and what these guys say is true. They're, Jesus must be the real deal. The, I mean, she, I think that she heard the gospel and probably believed it. Again, this is just conjecture, but whatever it was that she said made these guys go, she is of no use to us anymore, and these guys did it. We're taking them down. So, I don't know that she got saved, but I think she did. I hope she did, and, I, and, and we're going to 
I, I feel like in some, in some form or another, she's a part of this church in Philippi. And finally, they, they get thrown into jail, and it says that they're just in jail singing hymns and being happy, and in the middle of the night, there's this giant earthquake, uh, and the doors fly open, and the jailer hears it and runs down, and he sees all the doors open, and he's thinking, oh my gosh, all of the prisoners are gone. What am I going to do? They're going to kill me. I mean, literally, the guys who gave me this job are going to kill me. And usually how it worked was uh, old Roman retired military guys would get a jail as like a uh, retirement kind of severance package. They would get, be able to go and, and run jails and things like that. And so there are usually these old hardened military guys, ex-military guys, who are now running jails. And so he pulls out his sword, sees that the guys are probably gone, and he's just about to just fall on his sword, run himself through, and he hears Paul from the jail cell go, stop, you know, what are you doing? We're all here. Why, why would you fall on your sword? We're, not, we're here. We haven't gone anywhere. And the jailer, of course, is stunned. He's like, why are you still here? You know, and Paul just starts preaching the gospel to him. He just tells him about Jesus. And the jailer takes Paul and Silas out back to uh, his house, cleans their wounds, and he and his whole family believe and are baptized. So basically, this rich businesswoman, this potential slave girl, and this hardened jailer are the kind of the first three converts in the start of the church in Philippi. And as I was kind of reading through this, I thought to myself, what, what an eclectic bunch to be the, the originators, the starters of a, a church, right? Like what an unlikely bunch of candidates to start a church. But here's the thing, and kind of the first observation I want to make about this text in, in terms of cultivating joy and unity is that if you're a Christian, we're all united through the gospel. These three people, the, the woman, the slave girl, the, the jailer, all were brought together because of the gospel. That's, that's the thread by which they were bonded and united. And, and honestly, what's funny is I, I kind of envision them sitting around this, you know, just the three of them maybe meeting, and then and Paul starts to tell his story. He's like, yeah, I was this really religious guy who was totally okay with, you know, the murder of Christians. What did you do, you know, b- before this? And I'm thinking, man, what a strange bunch. But the gospel came in and changed their lives, and, and, and it changed all of them. And, and before we go any further, the gospel that Jesus came and he lived and he died for us. He, he took our sin and our shame and put it on himself, and he died on the cross, making an atonement for our sins, right? And, and, and this was communicated by Paul to them, and their lives were changed. And, and then it struck me as kind of funny because, I mean, let's face it, there's no more an, of an eclectic bunch at CBC than the college ministry. I mean, and that's okay. I mean, I love it. I look around, and you know, you got, I wrote it down, PA students, painters, nursing students, business students, graphic designers, sound designers, musicians, anybody else? What else do we do in here? Industrial design, furniture design, illustration, what's that? (laughs) Service design, I mean, exactly, right? No more of an eclectic bunch in all the church than who the people in this room. 
but here's the thing, guys. The reality is the thing that unites all of us and the reason that we're here tonight is the gospel. It's, it's Jesus. It's his spirit changing us and, and, or drawing us to him. And if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, you're not here by accident. And, and here's, here's how this plays out and why this is, I feel, such a deep, deep bond is that if you believe the truth claim of the gospel, of the Bible, and you believe Jesus is who he says he was, then, then it's, you're, you're staking everything on it. You're staking your entire life, your future, everything on this reality, your eternity on this reality, right? And if the person next to you is also a Christian, then they're doing the same thing, right? That is the deepest, visceral, possible connection that you guys can have. And not like the, hey, I, I like lattes. Do you like lattes? Let's be friends. Not that. It's more like, hey, somebody walks into the room and starts saying, if you're a Christian, I'm going to kill you. There's a pretty good chance that you and the person next to you are going down. I mean, that, that runs deep, 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 right? And so that, that's, but that's who we are in this room. If we're Christians, that's how we're bonded. That's how we're united, and it's, it's a really strong, the, the only thing I could compare it to, the strongest possible bond, is Georgia football. It's true. Well, no, it's, the gospel runs deeper than that. But here's the thing. If you go to a Georgia football game, 90,000 of your closest friends, how did they become your closest friends? Georgia football, right? And you're watching, you're just sitting watching, and, and I know, out of 90,000 people, I know three, me, my dad and my brother. But as soon as Georgia scores a touchdown, I mean, I've, I'm giving out hugs. I'm taking this guy's soda that he's got all of his saliva in and just chugging it like, yeah, you know, just rubbing noogies and like, you know, sweaty hugs, guy hugs. It's like, yes. And, and, and that's <laughs> disgusting, I know. But, <laughs> but guys, there's, there's just something that runs really deep that unites us all in this room. And if we will begin to see that, then it starts to change how we see each other and how we relate to one another and how we treat one another, right? So let's keep reading. Verse 6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are, are all partakers of me with grace, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And just the second kind of observation I want to make about this text, and, and hopefully that will help us have joy in this unity, is that we, we need to see other Christians in the same gracious manner that, that Christ sees us. It stems right off of the first observation that, that we're united in the gospel, and because of that, we need to see each other as Christ sees us. We should see others that way. Uh, because here's the reality. When we become a Christian, our life doesn't instantly get really, really easy. Right? I mean, and, and what I mean by that is positionally, we are holy. We are seen, 
the gospel is that God poured out his wrath for our sin onto Jesus. And so when he, God looks at us, he sees the finished work of Jesus, and so he sees us as spotless and pure and holy. Right? So positionally, we are holy, but relationally, fleshly, as, as long as we are here, we are not holy. <laughs> we are being made holy. We are in this process called sanctification, this doctrine of sanctification. And what that basically means is that we're being changed to be made more and more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, but until that happens, we're fallen sinners. We're fallen sinners. But Paul here is saying, you know, hey, Jesus saved you, and he began this good work in you, and Jesus has promised to finish it. He's not going to leave you or forsake you in this process. And to be honest, the process, this process of sanctification is hard enough without all of the outside stimuli that we encounter all the time, right? Like, the world is screaming at us, you know, drink this, smoke this, look like this, date him, date her, you're the best, make an idol of yourself, you deserve it. You can do it. Everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy and goes home happy because you can, if you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want. And that's just not true. It's not true. I will never, ever play in the NBA. <laughs> Let me say that again. I, all five foot four and almost a half of me, will never play in the NBA. I can't do it. Physically, not capable. Now, do I have mad skills? Yeah. But can I take on LeBron? No way. Right? It's just not going to happen. But God, man, he is patient with us. He is gracious with us. He is kinder to us than we ever, ever deserve. And he's also promised to help us on this journey and to complete the work. So when Paul says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus, he's not saying, you guys are all awesome. I love being around you all the time. You know, your, your personalities are just so sweet, and, and I just really want to hang out with you all the time. Remember, wealthy businesswoman who was probably told, by the way, you should give more because you can help support our, our ministry. And this slave girl who probably thinks, I don't have anything to do, and I mean, any value because I'm a slave girl. And this jailer who is probably thinking, I have to be nice to who? You know, I'm a hard, I killed people. Like, I, I'm a, they're, they're, like Wednesday night supper meetings was probably a riot, if you think about it. But, guys, what Paul is saying here is that, man, I know the, the being a Christian, the process of it, is, it's hard. And standing up for the gospel is challenging. And I know it's a struggle, but God is gracious. God is good, and he's worth it. And, and just like being a Christian wasn't necessarily easy back then, it's not necessarily any easier uh, now. But when we start to see and understand that we're all kind of on this process, we're all on this journey of being sanctified to make, be made more and more in the image of Christ, then what happens is that we start to see other people's failures less as failures and and how they aren't worthy to be our friend and aren't worthy to be respected and more like, oh, snap, you're a dirty sinner just like me. Yeah, man, how can, how can I not forgive you? Christ forgave me. How can I not forgive you? I, I, man, I miss being in your presence because 
you, something happened and you, and you took off and we never saw you again? Like, what, where'd you go? Like, you're, you're welcome here. You're not, we, didn't, we don't want to abandon you. We want you to come back into the fold. We, we know this journey is long and hard and difficult, right? And let's face it, college, there's n- probably no, almost no harder place to, to walk this journey than in college, to get out on your own and to find out what it's like out in the real world and, and have all this freedom and, and become of legal age and all of these things that happen between the 18 to 22 years of college, right? But, but if we start to, to see people as broken sinners that are going to screw up and just decide, hey, we need to be gracious to this person. We're united because of the gospel. And, and by the way, that can't be taken away right? You're united to them whether you like it or not. So treat them graciously, love them, just pour out grace onto to those around you. And, and here's the thing. The other side of that is as we're being sanctified and our lives are being changed, life change is really contagious, right? Like we start to see it. I've been with the college ministry for four or five months since August. And I mean, we've seen, seen, People get saved. We've seen people read a Bible for the first time. We've seen people desiring to pray more and more and more. We've seen people want to stop living in sin and start like acting like sanctified people and holy people that want to please God and, and love God and run after God. And it's exciting. It's, I mean, it's exciting. We sit around and talk about it all the time. Like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, so they did such and such. Man, that's awesome because... We, we had nothing to do with that. Like, it's just the Spirit of God moving and acting in people's lives and changing lives, and it's contagious, and we want to see more of it. And that's the reality. And when, and when people start to get down on people because they screw up, and I mean, it's just really discouraging, and it makes you not want to pursue God. But if we come in with grace and we just empower the people that fail and say, listen, we know you failed, we acknowledge it, but we love you, and we want to, we want to restore you and, and you know, come on, let's pick you up, let's go. Like, that kind of stuff is contagious, and we want to see more of it. We want to see people who aren't saved get saved. We want to see people who maybe were saved at one, you know, long ago that have been far from God come back into the fold and just be restored. And we, we I mean, I can only speak for me, but in conversations with Mallory and William, and, and it's like we sit around and we'll do, we'll do these things where we'll go, yeah, man, did you hear about so-and-so? yeah. And then it's just like a moment of silence. Yeah, that was cool. You know, because we're just reminiscing on the good things that God's done. And, it, and it, it's really contagious. And we, and we want to get pumped up for that. We want to, we just want to encourage it and, and, and see God's grace be made manifest in our ministry, right? Because we are united. So let's act like a people who are united by the gospel and treat each other with grace uh, in, in, those, in those areas. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, <clears throat> there's actually a lot going on in this little bit of text and a couple different observations that could be made, but this is just stuck out to me. It, it just jumped out from the page 
And it's this, that all of this happens in the context of prayer. Christians, Christians should be praying for one another. Right? He starts this whole Thanksgiving with a prayer, like how he remembers them in their prayers and yearns for them in his prayers. And he's praying here. He's saying, you know, guys, man, I, I pray that your love abound and that you, your, your knowledge grow and, and you grow in knowledge and discernment and that you can improve what's excellent and, and that the fruit of righteousness that, that only Christ can bring will be made manifest in your life. Man, I pray that for you so that that you can be seen as holy when Christ returns and, and to the glory of God. Like, I'm, I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that for your life. I'm praying that over you, and I, and I want to see that happen in your life. And guys, this is what we need to be doing for each other. I mean, we need to be praying this for people in our lives, in our ministry, in our midst, right? We need to pray. And not that we shouldn't be praying for non-Christians because we want Christians, non-Christians to, to come to know the Lord, but it doesn't end there. 